wanted to say, uh, there's a word in the beginning of the book, I th in one of the forewords, where they talk about we are a hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Yeah? So we are a hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. The emphasis for me is on the word seemingly. Seemingly is a description of what happens here perceptually in this world. And seemingly means it appears to be true or false to you. Yeah. So in a sense, everything is seemingly true based on if you think it is or not yeah. at that moment. So our responsibility in a sense for our experience is unbelievable yeah. because this apparatus you know, they call it a subjective experience. That is the idea that I can see something and it seems to be that to me, yeah? It'll appear to be true or false to me based on the me, basically, yeah? Where I'm seeing it from. It's not so much that has a truth, but where I'm seeing it from will give it a truth or a falsehood. So if you're looking at life from self, from this, to me, it's a mental system of thought and interpretation. And alcoholism is an extreme, like say, subdivision of self-centeredness. But everyone is self-centered here, running around. Everyone is feel, having a subjective experience, uh, thinking that I'm the one who's seeing. I'm the one who's hearing. I'm the one who's feeling. I'm the one who's tasting. I am the one who's touching. And I'm the one who's thinking. In Buddhism, they would call, there's five gates or six gates where consciousness meets this world. The five gates are the senses and the sixth gate is the mind. The mind sees thoughts like the eye sees a bird fly by. But when we're holding, when we're walking around and thoughts are being seen, the mind in self interprets it as I'm seeing, I'm thinking the thought. But you know, if you're the thinker of the thought, then stop thinking. That hasn't been that successful, no? If you're the thinker of the thought, stop. Like if, if you were running and someone said, stop running, you could probably stop running, yeah? yeah okay, stop running. All right, stop, stop thinking, see how it goes. It's a big assumption that you're the thinker of thoughts. I would say the thoughts just arise based on your conditioning, primarily for us, the alcoholic conditioning, because we have very similar thoughts, everyone in this room, yeah? And we have very similar reactions to life, and we have very similar feelings. That's what we identify with at a meeting. I, don't, I de definitely do not identify with who you are. I, I truly identify with what's taking you over. So. If you and I are giving everything the meaning it has yeah, to you, yeah? so let's say today this is a problem. Yeah? I'm in a bad condition today, so this is a problem. The next day I'm in a good condition, it's not a problem. The next day I'm in a bad condition, it's a problem. What is it? Is it a problem or is it a problem? It just appears to you to be one or the other based on where you're looking at it from. Yeah? So, I'm giving this the meaning it has. 
On Saturday, I give it a meaning, hey, this is a freaking problem. Sunday, I'm feeling pretty good. I give it a meaning, hey, it's not a problem. Monday, I don't feel good again. It's a problem. Yeah? So you and I give everything all the meaning it has. This is what this does, this apparatus. Yeah? Now, if the meaning that I'm giving to everything is coming from the point of view of self, yes? So basically, I'm living the interpretation of life based on self. Yeah? All, my, all the meaning I'm giving, everything I meet, everything I hear, taste, touch, smell, and think, I'm giving it a meaning. If that meaning is being distributed from self-centeredness, then I'm living the interpretation of self. Yeah? Now, many of us have lived that interpretation, so we get to a point where we want to surrender our lives to the care of something else, so that something else will give our life a meaning through us, other than self, yes? So I will now look at life and see what I can contribute to it instead of trying to see what I can get from it. All of these are just different meanings given because you're looking at life from a different place. And the, the shift of that place is stated in that, in that point of perhaps there's a better way trusting something infinite rather than finite self. So when you're relying on self, you're trusting it, where is the trust being expressed? In the thoughts. You're believing what the head's telling you. The acronym of fear, false evidence appears real. The false evidence is presented, but it needs you to appear real. It doesn't appear real on its own. It's false evidence. But you seeing it from self makes it appear real. Incredible. So the head is, so where is an immunity to that? Where is the immunity to thought? If you had immunity to thought, your whole day would go different. Yeah? If you had immunity for a half an hour to thought, you would have a revelation that would blow your mind. Well, I found for me what helped in the beginning was because I'm in AA, I realized I started to entertain that the thoughts that were happening were alcoholic thoughts. Yeah? And that gave me a little freedom from them. Because I, instead of always holding them as mine, which is the bondage to self, the bondage to self, let's say here's self and here's you. To, for you to be bonded to self, there's got to be a bonding agent. The bonding agent is the daily narrative in your head. All the thoughts is what binds you to the idea of being self. It has to apply every day because it's not a natural bonding. You are, you are of spirit. You are not of mind and body, in a sense. So the binding, the bonding agent to bind you to the idea of being a self is the daily narrative. It's the thought system, obviously. Yeah. So if you had immunity to thought, you would have relief from the bondage of self. Because you're not bound to self like a thing. It's a verb. It's doing it all day. Yeah. You weren't like, oh, you're bound to self for the last 20 years, and I'll come back 20 years later and see, oh, yes, you're still bound. No, it's a verb. It's a happening, a mental happening all day. And it can be startled because it's a verb. If you wake up, it's startling that trance, and so that's called waking up. You wake up out of the trance by recognizing thoughts are just thoughts. 
They're not your thoughts, and they're definitely not about you. They're about self. Yeah. So here, let's say a thought, there was some uh, research they did in Australia years ago. They said you had 70,000 thoughts a day, which is, let's say, we have 10,000 thoughts a day. Being self-centered alcoholic, about 9,990 were about you, probably, yeah? So all these thoughts are about you all day. And let's say they all weigh an ounce. Let's just say a thought weighs an ounce. So now you have 10,000 thoughts going through your head. So that's 10,000 ounces you're traveling with every day. You're used to it. It's like having a big bag. You're used to it. It doesn't seem to tie you out that much, yeah? You got to rest every once in a while. Okay, now let's add the word my to the thought. Yeah? So there's just a thought, the ways and outs. Now I see the thought yeah, from selfing and I go, that's my thought. It's about me. I now inject about a pound of meaning into the thought. Now, the same day I'm carrying 10,000 thoughts, but now I'm carrying 10,000 pounds. I would say that's a good description of traveling heavy. Yes? You're weighed down by the obsession with self, which causes you to feel irritable, restless, and discontent, which creates seeking to get some fucking relief. Then you go to this to tell you what relief you should get, and that's the problem. Yeah. The problem tells you what solution you should get for it. <laughs> that's the bondage to self. That's slavery, isn't it? We're enslaved to this system. We're not aware of it. So let's say, all right, so a thought is just a thought until it's my thought. Then it becomes a story. Yes, very important. So let's say you come up here. I forget everyone's names because the Swedish gets me. All right, let's so you come here and you're, you're coming to my house to tell me how you're doing. So you come and you start talking about the selfie. Now in about two minutes, I'm bored stiff, yeah? I've heard it thousands of times, yeah? I'm sitting here, okay, I'd rather do my laundry, but you know, oh yes, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But the same thoughts are happening in my head and I'm incredibly interested in them. What's the difference? They're the same thoughts, alcoholic thoughts. What's the difference? The ones I have a so, somewhat of immunity to, I see them as yours. The ones I have no immunity, I see them as mine. That's the root of the problem, identification as that. If you believe you're the thinker, you're going to be very engaged in those thoughts. If you believe the thoughts are about you, you're going to be very engaged in them. You're going to have a lot of interest in those thoughts. The same person sharing the same thoughts, you'll have no interest in. Because that, why? They're not about you. It's like here, we're sitting in this room and let's say there's a lovely girl in the next room that I'd like to have like a relationship with. I'm afraid to really ask her because she could reject me and I don't want to go through that terrible pain. So I'm, I think she's talking to, out there with some friends and of course I'm thinking she may be talking about me. Who knows? <laughs> there's billions of other people but maybe it's me. So I'm really trying to listen through the wall to hear what she's saying. And I'm supposed to be doing this talk and I'm, and I, you know, someone says, hey, Paul, you're supposed to be doing this talk. And I agree with you, but I can't seem to help myself, right? Very interested in what she's saying. And then someone says, oh, well, here's a book of how to stop listening to a conversation in another room. Read this book. All right, I'll get back to it later. But, uh, listen. but then I hear her and she's talking about Matt. 
what happens? I lose interest immediately. I don't have to take three months of workshops to lose interest in that conversation. As soon as I recognize it's not about me, I could care less. That's exactly what happens with this activity. If you see the thoughts in your head as not yours, you will lose interest in them. The obsession will, uh, with self will diminish. Yeah? Because you will entertain, possibly it's not about me. And it's only about you that's drawing you into that orbit of the thoughts. The thoughts have no power but yours. You give them power by calling them mine. And then the thoughts bind you. But it's the mind binding you with the thoughts through identification. There's a freedom. It's available. You can have immunity to thoughts if you entertain it as not yours. And once you get a little flavor, keep entertaining and you'll see. You'll travel a whole lot lighter during the day. Jeez, I'd be dead if I listened to these thoughts. Jesus Christ, I wouldn't have showed up here. You can't give this talk. You were bad to someone a couple hours ago. Oh, okay. Like, I have anything to do with this. You see? I did these workshops every Monday for 19 years in San Francisco. I sat down in a seat to share information with people just like this, and I had done with every type of circumstances, what every type of mental state you could possibly be in. Having no money, really sick, my fairy princess just broke up with me, and as long as I sat in that chair, was willing to let it go, something happened. That's what it's like. When you surrender to this power, greater than that self, the whole thing changes because of one thing. It's greater than self. You've reached a new power that's greater than the mind. Yes? If you rely on that, it breaks your reliance on mind. Yes? It frees you from the bondage to self. <laughs> I'm not sharing this out of a book. It happens. You know, I entertain this idea. And it's pr the proof has been in my traveling for years. There's a freedom where there was no freedom. There's a possibility where there was no possibility. I can comprehend the word serenity and no peace. You cannot comprehend serenity as a self. All self is a seeking. Seeking, seeking, seeking. Looking, looking, looking. Looking, looking, looking. It's ravenous. It never finds. So here in this realm of mind, this mental realm of thought, I always like to, to frame it in a certain way, which is most of us are living in what's not happening. Yeah? Now what I mean by that is most of us, we could be sitting here right now, but our mind is, is thinking about next week. Yeah? And it's thinking that I'll be destitute next week. I'll have cancer next week. My girlfriend's going to sleep with my best friend next week. Now I'm here now, I don't have cancer. I don't know what my girlfriend's doing, whatever. I don't have cancer. I'm not destitute. But that doesn't mean a damn thing to the head. It doesn't take facts into consideration. It just says, you, you're going to have cancer. So I'm not responding to what's happening now. I'm reacting to what's not happening. Yeah? And the only way you can travel to what's not happening, you, there's no airport you can go in what's not happening. Really, you can't book a room 
Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, anything can happen in what's not happening. Anything. You can have cancer. You can be dead. You can be this. You can be that. Anything could possibly happen in what's not happening. Yeah. But you can't go there. You can't land there. You can't travel there. But you can go there in thought. Yeah. Mind goes to that realm. And you're obsessed with mind, so it seems as if you go to that realm. So now I'm in what's not happening. So what causes what's not happening to seem to be happening is my faith in thought. That is called playing God or reliance on self. Yeah? That faith given over to that has produced these mental realms of what's not happening. And what my mind does in there, it's like an, an imaginary field, but it grows a crop of anxiety. And the mind produces a physiological effects that we call fear, but it's all mental anxiety. There's nothing in this room that's threatening you whatsoever. But you're reacting as if there is. Because you're not reacting to here, you're reacting to what's not happening. You can go either way, the past or the future, but they're both not what are not happening. So then there's another state called what's happening. It doesn't have all the like possibilities in what's not happening, but it has one quality what's not happening doesn't have. And that is it's happening. Yeah? <laughs> like it or not, it is happening. We have to begrudgingly admit we're stuck here on a Friday night or whatever listening to this American guy. But that's what's happening. Yeah? And knowing what's happening and really being aware of what's happening is the immunity to what's not happening. Now, the only solution to what's not happening, and it isn't therapy, it's the recognition that it's not happening. What more do you need to do? If something, if what's not happening is driving us crazy, which it seems to do many of us, to me, the only solution is recognizing it's not happening. What's more, what more can you do after that? <laughs> it's not happening. It's so like that, isn't it? It's not happening. That's it. You don't have to go back into what's not happening and ask why is it not happening? It's just not happening. That's the freedom. So the freedom isn't available in what's not happening. It isn't. It's promised and it's taken away, yeah. and it's hidden somewhere that's not happening. But there's no freedom in what's not happening. The invitation to freedom is now, here. Yeah. And it's written, it's described every second we're alive. We're conscious. There's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching going on. Yeah. The, the selfing Noticing that that is life, that is being, being is being conscious of, that is being, that is what life is. The mental process and selfing has claimed it and says, I'm the one who's seeing. I'm Paul's hearing, Paul's tasting, Paul's touching. So every time it arises, it doesn't have to say it anymore. There's the belief that I'm the one that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. But it's so obvious you're not hearing. There's hearing going on wherever my ear is pointed, but you're not hearing. It's so amazing that you thinking 
that you're doing this, you can't even take a shit when you want to, physically. Can you? You're not pumping your blood, are you? Maybe you ate a burrito yesterday and you forgot to digest it. You're going to go home and digest it when you get home? No. The whole apparatus is quite involuntary, and yet you think you're the doer of it. Yeah, it's total insanity of mind. Yeah. So what I found with this is if you're here, you'll have an immunity to there. If all there is is there to you, you're going to be in for a fucking rocky ride. Because you're going to have so much crops of anxiety dropped into this now from a, an imaginary field that doesn't exist, all based on your faith and thought. Every one of us here has tons of faith. Faith manifests in this place by the vehicle you put it in. If you put it in self, it's going to produce anxiety. If you put it in something greater than self, it'll produce an ease and comfort in your skin now. It's that freaking simple. Everyone has tons of faith. You don't need to have any more faith. If you ever see a devotee of like, like this, the devotee of mind is like this. Just worrying. Just worrying about what's not happening. It's freaking incredible. Isn't it insane? Really, it is. If you ever see it, it's insane, isn't it? You're sitting here worrying about what's not happening. <laughs> and the best you can do is you can't even entertain you're okay I will be okay <laughs> what do you mean now no not now don't disturb me I'm unokay but I will be sometime sometime later yes give me a break freedom is immediate it's not something that you sneak up on it sneaks up on you yeah so I don't know, I love this part in the book, page 62, where he says the main principle of AA is the reliance on something greater than oneself. And he talks about the how and why of it being quit playing God, it doesn't work. For me, it was really helpful to learn what playing God looks like so I could recognize it, yeah? If you can recognize it, if you see one example of it, it will lead you to another example of it. You'll start seeing how the mind the thing that's talking. And it's funny because it sounds like it's your voice, isn't it? But it's actually just the voice of this body. But you believe it's your body, so it sounds like your voice. It's, so, it's always identifying. That's the verb of the bondage. You're constantly identifying as something that you're not. So on page 62, it says... This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch to which we passed to freedom. Then he starts describing what's going to happen to us if we take this position yeah, of reliance on something greater than self. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We could have a, like a seven-day event of people just coming up here and saying some of the remarkable things that followed when they took this position. Yeah? We had a new employer being all-powerful. That's the, that's the deal, because what you're relying on now has no power. It's unreliable. 
It's all advertising, yeah? But we have now, we have, we're relying on something that has power. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So he's giving us two requirements that you could put all your future concerns in. You're gonna be taken care of if you stay close to him and that requirement's out the window because you can't be, how can you be away from everywhere, yeah? I mean, that, that's what they used to say in catechism. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. Then how can you, why aren't you bumping into it <laughs> if it's everywhere? You must believe you're in a special somewhere. That's called self. So here it is, this power, being all powerful, is going to take care of me if I stay close to it. How can I not be close to it? And just perform his works well. So we do service in AA, yeah? And to me, service, if you notice, if you watch service, when I used to do service, it gets you out of self, yes? It's a nice way of getting out of self. And you feel available because you're out of self. It's like your head, your head comes out of the ass of self and pop, and you're available. Whoa, yeah, you're here. So you feel available, and when you feel available, when you're available to hear, you sense a presence of that spirit. That's what happens. You need to be available to sense it. If you're not available, if you're, in, if you're in what's not happening, you will not sense the presence. You will be the only presence you sense, the self, yeah? You won't sense the presence of that power. But if you're available, you'll sense the presence. So thousands of times this happened to me. I did service, yes, in AA. I felt that availability and sensed the presence, but I'd always go back into the modality of selfing. So then I'd have to do service, Get an experience of being out of self, feeling available, sensing a presence. But just one time when I had sensed that presence, I called the presence me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I said, that's me. Yes? And so when I sensed, when I was that presence, it causes me to be always available and of service because that's what service is, is availability. So in a sense, I don't have to do formulated service anymore to have that sense because once, just like surrender, did you ever know, I got run over by cars, I never surrendered. I've been shot at, never surrendered. It was just a regular day at the office when a surrender occurred. I had to be, I had to be given the gift of surrender for my mind to be able to entertain it, but I can entertain it now. The same thing, if this sense of presence is really noted your mind can entertain it as that, not as self, yes? Boom. Then you're, then you're that presence, which is, means you're always available. No matter what your head is saying, you're constantly available. It has nothing to do with what your head's saying. As long as you're conscious, you're available here, yeah? That means you're of service because you're holding the space of that availability to someone else. What better message can you deliver that you are that, yes? Sitting in the space, like a space in this room is being held, yes? There's a loving God expressing itself through our group conscience. That power, we're magnifying it. Tradition number five, a loving God will express itself through our group conscience. Don't you sense a presence in here? I do. That's, this, that's us. You know, we're maybe every one of us is an asshole in this room. But the perfume of us together is very sweet, isn't it? <laughs> it's 
something greater than ourself is expressing itself through us and is producing a presence. That's your nature, that presence. So performing his works and staying close to him, he will provide what, what, we, what we needed. As then he goes, all right, the next thing is after you've been entertaining this, maybe you'll get to a point where you get established in it, yeah? You got a little more firm footing in this position of reliance on something greater than self. When established on such a footing, we became, and this is an effect, you don't do anything. You don't do and have yourself into this state, in my view. It says we became less and less interested in ourselves. And I love this word he uses, and, and our, our little plans and designs. Because you know when you're obsessed with self, every plan is big, isn't it? Very big. <laughs> so our little plans and designs, there will be a losing of interest. We don't do it. It happens, yes? When we take this position, some effects occur. The mind changes its sort of format, yeah? So now instead of looking at what I can take, you're looking at what you can give. It says not you doing it, it just starts occurring, yeah? So we become less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we become interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, and that this is really good because when we're obsessed with self, we have been living in a powerless vacuum. That's why we've been so fucking anxious and fearful. We got no juice. We really don't. It's all dry, and all we got is an advertising. The mind's just going off and off and off and off and off. But any system that has to live in excuses and blame and... Uh, Rationalization must be an unreliable system. If this system delivered, what would it have to rationalize? What would it have to blame? What would it have to make an excuse about? But your mind's constantly making excuses and blaming others and rationalizing its inability to deliver the goods. It's unreliable. We take this to be natural, excusing and rationalization. It's just an effect of the system of thought we're identified as. One of the things that goes seriously when, the, when you come out of the ass of self is the desire or the drive to blame others. You tend to be quite accountable for where you're at. Yeah. All right, so as we felt this new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because mind is of peace, really. But you can't enjoy it in the mental realm, in time. But you can enjoy peace of mind here. It's available only here. And it's, and it's, it's available to be enjoyed, but not as a self. Yeah? So we can enjoy peace, of, we become, we enjoy peace of mind as we discovered we could face life successfully. So this is how, one of the ways I discovered this scary place called life I learned I could face successfully. It was my first AA dance, which was my last AA dance. If you ever know about AA dances in America, phew, very painful. But the first AA dance I went to, I was less than a year sober. And I was standing on the men's side, and I was drinking carbonated water like beer, you know, trying to have some defense, you know. And the women were way over there, and I was over here. And there was a disco ball, you know, one of those balls moving. 
And so I decided I'd be the scout. I was going to go over to the woman's side and ask a woman to dance, yes? So I, it was like no man's land. I crossed the side. I got over there. And I asked this woman who I liked from afar, you know? And I asked her to dance, and she said no. And I had an experience that most of my life was about avoiding, which was rejection. My whole life, that's why my life was got so small. I wouldn't try anything, because I was afraid I was going to fail. Yeah? So there I was. I asked her, and I wanted to dance with her. And she said no. Now I just sort of shrunk. Yeah? And I turned around, and then now the no man's land was like a minefield. <laughs> and I'm crossing the minefield. And the disco ball is like a spotlight. And I feel like everyone's watching me. I didn't come back with a woman, you know? And I get to the other side, but I realized it didn't kill me. I started to learn I could face life successfully. I could ask for what I want and be okay when I didn't get it. But at least I'd ask for what I wanted now, yeah? Instead of blaming and rationalizing and excusing, I went for it. Yeah, jeez. So as we became conscious of his presence, now this is, for me, the whole thing. AA is, you know, is for me, is the whole point of having a relationship with something greater than self. That's its whole point. And what, what is a relationship than being conscious of that thing you're in relationship with? I mean, when I'm in a relationship with a woman, I'm conscious of her, yes? So to be conscious of this presence of the spirit, is it for me. That's, I feel I'm conscious as that spirit, but you want to use the terminology of the book. It says conscious of. I don't see there's any difference between the spirit and what I am. You know? so. But when you start feeling that presence, it's the immunity to the absence called self. Yeah. So as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn, reborn back into that childlike state in a way. Not childish state, childlike state. Yeah? We were reborn back into it. We've, we had gotten sucked up into another system of thought. And you know the lack of wonder and awe in that system, isn't it? I mean, didn't wonder and awe be really prolific when you were a kid? I felt it was. It was quite obviously I was running into it all the time. Then it becomes so infrequent now. You gotta jump off bridges to get a rush, you know? Jeez, Christ, you gotta shoot up drugs in your neck to get a rush. You're just dead, basically. So we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and after. We were, we were reborn. So if it says we can begin to outgrow fear or lose it, then we must have grown into it. Yeah? It is not a natural state to be living in anxiety. That's not my view of it. I think there's a natural state being conscious, yeah? where your, your day is based on seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, not you seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, but seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yeah? the aliveness of the immediacy of being on. Yeah? To me, that's the joy of living. So then I'll go to that page that we went over earlier, page 64. I'll just read it again. It says, all right, being convinced that self. Well, I'll do another thing, because if you're interested in doing an inventory process, 
the fourth step. I used to do, I used to present it in this way. I used to use uh, an example of self and a balloon, yes? So there's self and the root of the problem is obsession with self, yes? So self, when it's obsessing, that's the dilemma. And the balloon, the obsessing would be uh, represented by air, yeah? So the self has a big agenda. You think you have an idea, if I got this and I do that, then I'll be happy, yeah? And so we have all these instinctual drives and the self is trying to manage them. And if it says, if I get it all right, I'll be happy. The balloon has an agenda, but it's a very simple one, not to be popped, yeah? It's the only thing he cares about. He doesn't care if it's used at a birthday party or whatever, just not to be popped, okay? Now it's the, mind, the ego's idea or the self's idea of its success or not is very, very complex. But its gauge of how it's doing the balloon is just the thickness or thinness of its skin, yeah? If the skin is too thin, it could be popped. If it's thick, it's feeling pretty good, yeah? So here it is, here's the balloon, and the balloon has alcoholism. So, yeah? Now the balloon, thinking about itself, is blowing itself up, yes? As it blows itself up, what happens? The skin gets thinner. As the skin gets thinner, the self recognizes Jesus Christ. If it gets too thin, I could be popped, and now self-centered fear arises, yes? What does it do? It thinks more about the situation. The balloon gets bigger, bigger. It's getting thinner. Now it's in a lot of self-centered fear, so what does it do? It looks around its environment, and it starts seeing what it thinks can pop it. It doesn't mean, it doesn't even have to have the quality of being able to pop it. It just, if you give it the meaning, you're gonna have the reaction of fear, yeah? So now the balloon's looking around, it goes, wow, if I hit that exposed light bulb, I'll pop, yeah? Someone's smoking a cigarette. If I touch that cigarette, bye-bye. If I hit this sharp angle, whammo, yeah? So now it's resenting the sharp angle, this and this, and it's in a lot of fear, yeah? So what does it do? It thinks more about the situation. <laughs> Now the balloon's really, really big. The skin is super thin. It's in a huge amount of anxiety, and it's basically not just resenting the light bulb, but the electric company, yeah? Not, not resenting the cigarette, but all tobacco, yeah? So now you start resenting almost everything because everything is being viewed as a threat to you because of the skin, the thinness of the skin. This is an example of someone with untreated alcoholism. You believe the resentments of fears are being caused from outside, but it's your obsession as self that's causing the perception of the fear and the resentment. If you try to change the outside without changing what's causing it, you'll have to be very busy changing the outside because there'll be more resentments and fears. They'll be popping up everywhere you are. <laughs> you can't gotta put it two and two together. Everywhere I go, I seem to have anxiety, yeah. You think anxiety is everywhere you go? No, it's where you're, go you're coming from you. So here it goes, so what do you do? AA says the steps are meant to deflate the ego, yeah? So let's say the balloon starts deflating. Some air comes out, what happens? The skin gets thicker. The self of the balloon recognizes the skin's thicker, some of the fear drops, yeah? Now that it says it's okay, it doesn't see resentments, it doesn't see threats because the skin is, in, is thick now. That's exactly what's happening to us. But it's good, it's important to recognize if you believe you have a cold and you buy a lot of cold medicine and you take it religiously, 
and you mistake, you made a misdiagnosis, you have a flu, yeah? Now colds and flu have similar symptoms, but not all of them. So you'll get some relief from the flu by taking the cold medicine, but not the relief you could really get if you recognized it was the flu. I'm just attempting to share with you what I think the flu is. And I found by taking the steps of AA and practicing these principles with the recognition that identification as self is the root of the problem, I've had drastic relief, which verifies to me the diagnosis. I don't need a book to tell me that it's correct. I live it, I can feel it as I'm living, yes? To me, that's the proof is really in your gut. So I'm just saying, you know, very humbly, the people who wrote the book only had four years sobriety. People were supposed to add on to it after it come back. I believe they took it as far as they took it, which was the root of the problem's obsession with self. I believe it's farther back. I think it's identification as self. If you've ever been obsessed with something, like Coke or a woman or anything like that, money, let's say, have you ever felt that you were money? Probably not. No matter how much Coke I did, I never thought I was Coke. There was always the separation between the Coke and me, yeah? But identification is way, 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 way past obsession because you actually are identified with what you're obsessed over. You actually believe you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, a body and a brain, and you think that maybe you can have a spiritual experience when spirit is your true nature. Prime, prior to a body and brain, spirit is what we are, I believe. Yeah? So, <laughs> I believe that the disease is incredibly powerful because it's way past obsession. It's identification. It's way, it's a whole nother ball game because you've never lost your sense of being Paul with Coke or you never became Coke. I never let, you know, laid in a bindle of Coke and. So try to snort me up with a straw, you know? I, I thought I was Paul somehow, and I always had that boundary in place. We don't have a boundary with the idea of self. We're starting from its land. It's already made up where we are, and we're living from there, and we're suffering a lot of consequences from that ignorance, I believe. Even after you get sober, yeah? Even after you've been sober for a while and you've practiced the program diligently, a lot of times the self seems to be very, very persistent. At any moment, it can capture you once again. There doesn't seem to be a real, real, real deep peace because there's always the fear of something could happen. That to me isn't peace. Peace isn't like a reprieve from fear, with fear being the constant state. Peace is the absence of fear. We have to stop? Oh, all right. Sorry. You're going to have trouble stopping me, I think. You're going to have to pull me over. Because, you know, you're my tribe. You know, tribe AA? I have a drive. It's not me. There's a compulsion. I want to share something because of what it's done. Yes? <laughs> not that it's a novel idea, but it can deliver the goods. To have immunity to thought just for a half an hour, to not be referenced by your thinking and recognize that you're somewhere other than where the thoughts are implying you are is a wonderful freaking event to me. One of those free samples can change the rest of your life here. Yeah. 
So this is how it was delivered to me. Someone invited me to look at something a different way, and I entertained it, and it started to verify itself. It's like there's an old guy named Chuck Chamberlain in America called the New Pair of Glasses. You ever heard of that? Well, let's say alcoholism is like a pair of glasses. So we're, we have a pair of glasses, and these pair of glasses have a certain mechanism to convince you that they're the eyes, yes? There are a pair of glasses. You could, there's a possibility of taking them off, but they've convinced us, the wearer of them, that they're the eyes. So we never entertain, we could just take them off. And we're living a very distorted way, and we're just trying to make the best out of it, really because we can't entertain being free of it, so we're just, okay, so our life gets to such a point and we go to another, another eye place, you know, AA, and they hand us a new pair of glasses. And they say, okay, take this program and put it over, alcoholism, and it will correct the distortions of the alcoholic glasses, yes? The alcoholic glasses create a dependency such an extreme where, where you think you are the glasses. AA to me is about freedom, yeah? And actually in a sense, not leaving AA, but to be free of AA in a sense, yes? To be a point where you're living what they were pointing at through the steps. All those solutions they're talking about are a state of living, yeah? They're available, yeah? So I have, all right, put on these new pair of glasses. They start correcting the old distortions of the old pair of glasses. But a really good pair of glasses, in a sense, will indicate that you can take them off, yes? So let's say here I am, consciousness is to me seeing. It has been forced to be looking a certain way called self-centeredness, yeah? AA comes to correct that way of looking with the hopes that you will go take both glasses off in a sense and see again, yeah? Have the glasses in a very honored place and use them when you forget and you become, a, you start looking again from self-centeredness, yes? But not to just wear these glasses when they're just another way of looking. When what I believe the freedom is, is seeing. The childlike seeing that we have had experiences of when we were a kid. We didn't have to have a special pair of glasses to feel wonder and awe, did we? I didn't get bored, I played hours. I played with 13 army men for three years, I think, with Wayne Griffith, my neighbor. Every day we played hours make, with 13 little plastic things. I was never fucking bored. It was, it was on and on What the freak happened? What happened? Literally, something must have occurred. I must have grown into something that doesn't have much wonder and awe in it, yeah? That doesn't have much presence in it. That doesn't have, look at your thought system. What does it honor? Does it honor now or past and future? It honors past and future all freaking day. It could give a shit about now. It's always thinking about before and after. Yeah? And every thought you seem to have is a past thought anyway. There's never been a new thought ever. It's the same old, same old, regurgitating, yes? On and on and on, isn't it? Have you did a huge, I did a journal for two years taking 10 steps, yeah? Every night was the same thing. I'm afraid of, fill in the blank. I'm afraid of, I was afraid of, I will be afraid of, I'm gonna be afraid of. <laughs> you know, it's just unbelievable. 
You go in there, every day I go in and look at the, all my merchandise, it's apples every day. Ah, fear, fear, fear. Are you gonna be okay? Later, maybe. <laughs> Not now, but later. There's a thing in this mental realm. I like to explain it this way. I'm giving you all my, my goods, you know. You got me for three hours, so I'm pulling them all out. There's a modality, there's a thing I call here and there. Maybe you'll identify with this, yeah? Here and there. So let's say I'm sitting here, and it's my apartment. It's a one-bedroom apartment. And I'm reading a magazine, and the magazine has a beautiful uh, layout of a couch, yeah? And I look at the couch, and I start thinking about the couch. And I start thinking how better my life would be if I had